Welcome to Quotable, a female millennial entrepreneur podcast. The show by and for female millennial entrepreneurs who are building and running thriving, successful businesses while living life to the fullest. I'm your host, Alessandra Polina, owner of Quotable Media Co., a PR and media company. After nearly 10 years of building a PR agency, I've learned a lot about business and entrepreneurship, but the most valuable things have always come through conversation with other women who have been in it too, and I want to share all of that with you. So sit back, fill your coffee cup up, and listen in. I'm so excited to have Haley Pavoni on here today with me. She is the founder and CEO of Passion Footwear, and this brand just seems so cool to me. I'm really excited to talk to you more, Haley. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk with you and talk about shoes. I mean, you can never really go wrong with high heels, right? I know. What a great company to have started, right? It's like, (laughs) I I feel like it just seems fun. It's like everyone loves looking at shoes. We love talking about shoes, wearing shoes. I I mean, what a fun brand. Sounds hard to me, I would say. Like, I feel like I would have no idea where to begin in in making a shoe. So that's what I want to talk to you about all these things. Um, But yeah. First, give us a little overview. Like what is passion? Um, what are passion shoes? Is, is that what you say? Or passion footwear? Passion shoes, um, passion heels, however you want to slice it. Yes. So passion footwear, fun fact, the name passion is spelled P-A-S-H-I-O-N. Reason being, it actually stands for practical fashion. Oh, uh, I was going to ask you that because <laughs> I was going to ask Common, common cause of, uh, of inquiry there. But yeah, it was originally actually, you know, when we were thinking about it going to be prashion and then decided that was too gross. And so cut it down <laughs> to passion, which has much more snap to it. Um, but essentially, you know, that's really the core of what we're doing is we are making more practical practical fashion and really bringing women's voices and the lifestyle of the modern woman into women's footwear. And the way that we are doing that is we have created the world's first fully convertible high heels. So yes, you heard that right. High heels where the heel actually comes off and they turn into flats. So really the, the first ever two shoes in one solution on the market Um, you know, as you can imagine, really the most versatile shoe that you can get in the space since it has that conversion component and, you know, kind of at the core of what we stand for again is, is the modern woman and the lifestyle of modern women and providing products that can keep up and help empower women to live their best lives and accomplish everything they want in the day. So we really see our, our shoe as making major headway in that sense, because high heels, you know, they just weren't practical and they weren't working for the women of today. I can't tell you how many times I ended up barefoot or carrying around backup shoes or just suffering through for hours on end. Um, and so, you know, dealing with all those pain points was really the, the core inspiration to come up with a better functioning high heel for women. Yeah. Oh my God. No. I mean, it sounds like it literally the product that we all need and it's almost, it's almost surprising. Nobody's ever done it before in a way, right? Like 
how many times have we said like, oh, if only, you know, like, I feel like everybody's wanted this for so long. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm glad no one was able to figure it out before because obviously, you know, we have this great opportunity, but there have been a couple attempts at technology like this in the past. None were just ever executed quite right. You know, there, there's a few products where they have interchangeable heels. So you can swap a four inch stiletto to a four inch block, but that doesn't really solve, you know, the problem of high heel pain and inconvenience. Like it's cool. You can customize it, but at the end of the night, if you've been in a four inch stiletto, putting on a four inch block, isn't going to help you. You want that's more just to feel like make you feel like you have two shoes in one, but not actually like letting you walk along cobblestone streets after, you know, an event at night. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, it's complicated though. I mean, (laughs) that's maybe why nobody's done it before. It sounds, especially if you haven't made shoes before. Like, I mean, I feel like making shoes already sounds complicated. And then to also make a totally different shoe, like that's different than anything that's ever been done, like with interchangeable heels or or heels that come off, like that sounds really complicated. How do you figure, how do you like know what to do? Oh, it's, it's definitely complicated. That's, that's a correct assessment. You know, my, my running pun around the office is that we really had to reinvent the heel. So to speak. Um, and so our, our heels actually have very little in common with any other heel on the market. They have completely different materials, completely different manufacturing methods. And I really had to start from square one, you know, to your point, I actually started this business when I was only 20 years old and I was in college. I had no idea how shoes were made. I'd never, you know, sat down and cobbled a shoe myself. I'm pretty sure most people haven't done that these days. Um, But I was just very inspired from, you know, my own poor experiences with high heels to find a better solution. And so, you know, kind of just armed with inspiration, I dove in headfirst to the industry and really just started asking around, you know, looking online, trying to find anyone in the area that knew anything about how to make shoes. And at first, you know, a lot of the people that I talked to told me this doesn't exist because it can't like, there's Mm -hmm. a reason no one's pulled it off and it's because it's impossible. Mm -hmm. And in that sense, I think my lack of experience in footwear was actually a huge asset because my ignorance kind of gave me the blind confidence to ask those people, well, why is it impossible? And the response was always, you know, that's just not how high heels are made. And I, again, knowing nothing would go, well, why, (laughs) like, why are they not made in a different way? Isn't that kind of the, the whole point of what we're talking about here is approaching the high heel from a completely different perspective. And so I really just started, you know, trying to get people that knew more about footwear around me asking a lot of the silly, you know, quote unquote, silly questions for the industry until we all as a group kind of got down to this, this core point that the structure of a high heel and the production of a high heel is what needed to be rethought. Hmm. And so then over, you know, a two and a half year process, we just completely rethought how to approach making heels and convertible heels are the end result. Wow. I love it. You were just like, let me just figure this out. Like not going to take impossible for an answer. Oh yeah. No, it's like, there has to be a way to do it. Like I said, I think I realized I was onto something when every time I asked someone, why can't they be made this way? The response was just, 
because they aren't made that way. Right. And in my mind, I was like, okay, that's not a good enough answer. Like that's not a mechanical reason. It's not a logical reason. That's basically just, you know, people being lazy and not wanting yeah, to put in the work the way it's always been done. Yeah. It's like, there's better ways to, to do things. So that was, that was really kind of actually when I knew it probably was possible was no one could give me a super valid reason why it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. And I didn't realize you were literally actually still in college when you first yeah. started doing this. So you just were like, I just want to do it now. Like, <laughs> like, what is that? Why didn't you wait till you graduated? Or, you know, I mean, I'm just curious about how that like happened when you were, you just were like, this is an idea and I need to run with it. Sure. So it was kind of a, um, my joke is that inspiration quite literally struck actually. <laughs> so this is kind of a, an infamous story, but I was a junior in college when I started the business, but actually initially started thinking about it back in my sophomore year, my spring quarter, I was out at a sorority spring formal and I'd worn six inch high heels as one does to mm-hmm. a sorority spring formal in college. And as I'm sure you and any woman listening can relate, dancing in six inch heels is a no-go. Like it's more of a side to side wobble. And I, I wanted to bust a move. Like I was there to tear it up and have a good time. So as I'd done at any other formal or you know prom, wedding, really any other event I'd ever been to, I just ditched my heels, added them to the growing pile of discarded shoes on the side of the dance floor. They're really just there for the pictures, right? The, exactly. You know, and then once you get there, you take them off. Oh, I'd already taken my Insta photo. I was like, all right, I'm done with this. I'm going barefoot. But unfortunately, one of the other young women present who was still wearing high heels accidentally stomped the ballpoint of her stiletto through my bare foot and actually impaled me through the foot on the dance floor. So, you know, like I said, inspiration struck. You were like, she needs to have been wearing flats. Like this would have all been avoided if she could have just taken off the heels. Exactly. Exactly. No, it really was just kind of this very striking moment. Whereas I was sitting on the side of the dance floor, I looked around, you know, I'm literally unimpaling myself and I look around and realize 80% of the women at this thing are barefoot. And it just kind of smacked me in the face in that moment. What a massive oversight there was when it comes to high heels. You know, how many times had I ended up barefoot? How many times had I tried to shove sneakers into my backpack just in case my feet hurt? Or how many nights had I been virtually limping back to my apartment after trying to tough it out too long? Mm -hmm. And so I just became kind of obsessed with this idea. I think I, you know, I was studying entrepreneurship at the time. And so I was learning a lot about, you know, identifying market opportunities And for the few weeks following that incident, I was up till three in the morning researching, you know, how are high heels made? Has anything convertible ever existed? I really just couldn't shake the idea and became super obsessed with it. So noodled on it a little bit more over the summer and then come fall of my junior year, I thought, you know what, I think I'm really going to regret it if I don't follow this thread of inspiration. I just can't stop thinking about it and I want to do something with it. And so at 20 years old with no footwear knowledge, I figured, Hey, let's, let's just see what we can do with this. I've got nothing to, nothing to lose. So that's, I was just going to say, I mean, that's the great thing about starting so young, right? Is it's like, you literally have nothing to lose. You're still going to be in school either way. So it's not like you were taking time off of 
a job, a paying job or something while you start to develop this. Yeah. I mean, it's probably, you know, it sounds like it was a perfect situation. I'm sure it was yeah. tough, a lot to do <laughs> while you're in school. Well, it was tough, but I, you know, I actually credit starting the business in college part of why, you know, as part of the reason why we're so successful now is, you know, to your point, it was a lot to balance with school and homework and, you know, all those other things. And a lot of my friends would ask me like, why would you want to start a company? Now you have so much going on. And I always kind of appreciated, you know, I'm always going to have a lot going on. If I wait 10 years, I'm going to have a full-time job and possibly a family and, you know, a mortgage on a house I have to worry about. It's like all things considered. Yeah. I still have to study and get my degree, but if it doesn't work out, I'm still just in college with no real obligations or responsibilities. So it, it it kind of took that fear of failure off the table because it wasn't like, Hey, if this doesn't work, I'm going to lose my house. It was, Hey, if this doesn't work, I'll, you know, just graduate with my business degree and move on. So right. it was uh, for jobs the same time everybody else is. You're not behind in any way. No, exactly. yeah. It just, and if anything, it actually, I think would have put me ahead because, you know, trying to start it, even yeah. if it had failed would have been such great experience. So yeah. yeah, I really just saw nothing to lose. Like I said, it, it took that that fear of failure off the table, which I have a lot of thankfulness for. I think the fear of failure is what stops most entrepreneurs in their tracks. And it just wasn't really a concern for me starting so young. Yeah. I love that. I think that makes so much sense that. And so how many years ago was that? It was, it'll be five years ago in October. Wow. So So, so that means like three years since you've graduated that you've been Yes, roughly. Gosh, yeah, I graduated in 2018. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> it's been quite the adventure. Yeah. So, has it, um, when you, I mean, I imagine when you started in college and you were kind of just figuring it all out, probably a, an actual shoe didn't exist for the first, what, several months, a couple of years. Like, when, what was that timeline like in terms of like when you kind of officially started the business or started really looking into it? And then, like, when you actually held the first like prototype in your hand or something like that, or the sure. first product, finished product in your hand? Yeah. As you can imagine, you know, there were lots of iterations of this thing <laughs> to actually get it to work. So I started, like I said, had the idea in the spring of, I guess that would be 2016 and then fall of 2016 actually decided, okay, I'm, I'm going to chase this thing. It was October 4th that I made the formal idea that I was going to try to actually create it. I had the first 3d printed rough, 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 rough prototype in my hand by spring of 2017. Oh, wow. What is that? October. November, December, January, I like five to six months to get the first one. You have to keep in mind though. It was really a very loose proof of concept. We're talking 3d printed parts, super glued onto a spray painted black Dr. Scholl's insole. (laughs) Like you could not stand on it without it spontaneously collapsing. It just loosely showed, Hey, if you take this high heel off, you know, a flexible midsole would lay flat. And that's, okay. that's how that works. So I presented that prototype at a startup competition and won some initial prize money so that I could actually go, you know, buy some real heavy duty material. Then from there, you know, there were several more rounds of 3d printed shoes. I finally got a 3d printed one. I could actually wear that actually worked and, you know, could carry some weight. Um, 
in like September of 17. So like almost a year after I'd gotten started, I had the first one you could wear, but it didn't look good. It was still 3d printed in plastic. And then I got the first fully working shoes, like out of a professional footwear mold made out of patent leather, you know, looks like a Steve Madden, but the heel comes off actually sellable product the day before my college graduation in June wow. of 2018, which was awesome. Cause the, their debut walk was my walk across the graduation stage. So it really oh. kind of came full circle for me there. Yeah. That's too perfect. Wow. And also talk about like proof of concept of your company. Like, you're like, yep. Okay. I don't need to apply for jobs. I'm about right. to, here's my shoe. Like it works. Well, and it was very fulfilling because at that point, all my peers had been hearing me talk about this crazy shoe that, you know, I couldn't show anyone. I'd be like, yeah, it's going to have yeah. the heel come off. And they'd be like, great. Can we see it? I'd be like, no, you know, here's my Dr. Scholl's insole with a part on it. So for a year and a half, that's what all my friends had heard. So to actually show up and take the heel apart and do the whole conversion on the graduation stage, that was, that was when it started feeling very real. And when I think, you know, all my friends realized I wasn't crazy. <laughs> yeah. And then they're suddenly like, Hmm, so are you hiring? Like right, right. people wanted yeah. to become a part of it as soon as they saw that. Definitely. Yeah. Everyone was graduating right there that day. And, you know, anyone that didn't have a job was like, Ooh, <laughs> you marketers I was like, no, we have no money still, but appreciate the thought. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and that's, and that's, you know, not that long ago, I was really impressed when I was looking at your website and there are so many different styles and so many different actual shoes. Like I was, I was kind of expecting to go to the website and see like, one main kind of shoe or maybe like two to three like variations on like this heel, but you have a lot of different styles available, like very different styles. Like you could literally find a shoe, you could find like a passion shoe for anything that you like any event you're going to, or your everyday, you know, any everyday style, like depending on who you are, I was very impressed by that. Like you expanded the actual um, what styles designs like pretty quickly. It sounds like. Absolutely. No. And thank you for noticing. It's definitely been a, a very concentrated effort. And, you know, I think that's been one of the advantages as well of just kind of being a, a small company as we're able to be so nimble and, you know, just iterate really quickly and move really fast. Um, I think one of the best ways to, to kind of capture really that portion of this achievement is when I initially started out and was pitching the idea to, you know, the footwear development community, they told me the typical development timeline on a shoe was 18 months. Hmm. And pretty much everyone that looked at my concept said, you know, given how much more complicated this is, first of all, they just didn't think it was going to work period, but they thought even if it is going to work, you know, it's going to take you two and a half years to get something that works onto someone's feet. And then, you know, when you look at the timeline, I just laid it out, we pulled it off in a year and a half. Wow. So pretty, it was, it's, we've been moving at a very nice clip. And to your point, then on top of that, you know, just kept pushing out more styles and pushing a limit and just trying to get as, as wide of an offering out there as quickly as possible so that we can just get this technology onto more women's feet. Yeah. Like, I feel like anybody could find issue that they like from on your site. And so I have to ask, I mean, this is really neither here nor there, but do you like kind of design, like come up with the styles yourself or do you have like someone whose job it is to actually design the shoes? How to, how did you decide like what to actually make them look like? 
Oh, sure. So it's, it's actually very much a team effort and a very much a collaborative effort. So far, there hasn't been too much intense design work. You know, when you look at our silhouettes, to your point, there are a lot of options, but we've really just made a lot of the core basic shapes that you'd want to see in your closet because one of our main design principles, you know, of course, with the heel coming off is we want to create shoes that can work with women's lives from 9am to 9pm. Like it's the hardest working shoe in your closet. And so it can transition really nicely from your commute to work in the morning, all the way through going out dancing in the evening. And so, you know, from a styles perspective, we're not doing anything crazy avant-garde, you know, there's no super bizarre shapes. So silhouette wise, at least up until this point, we've been very focused on just pushing out basic silhouettes. And then we've been having a little more fun with the colors and the patterns. And the way that we're coming up with that is really just our, our whole team gets involved. We have a whole group chat where if someone's out of the store and sees a color or a pattern that they like, we send them all around and go, Hey, this is really cool. What if we made this into a shoe? And then we also really love to actually bring our customers and our following into the design process where if we have, you know, a handful of ideas for a season, we will literally put up an Instagram poll or post about it in the, the private customer Facebook group that we have and ask the following, you know, what do you guys want to see from us next? Cause we want to make sure we're putting out products that our passionistas are excited about. And it's been really fun to involve the actual customers in that selection process as well. Yeah, that, that sounds really fun. Oh, I mean, I am just, I'm so impressed. I love it. I think like, I guess like for me, I wasn't even, I mean, I was just surprised by how every shoe actually, it like looks like a, a beautiful heel. Like I'm like, this is a heel I'd want to wear, but then oh, so, so for, pe- for people who haven't yet looked at the website, which you should all do right now, if you're listening, <laughs> um, when you hover over like the shoe, it like shows a picture of the flat. Like when you hover over the heel, it shows a picture of the flat. So you can like see exactly what it will look like in both like iteration. And they all make like such nice looking flats too. Like they just all, they look so good in both version. And I feel like that's the one thing that I, you know, feel like could have been tricky or that I feel like was almost like something that could have been an issue is like, but it might be a great heel, but then like, is it really going to still look good as a flat? You know what I mean? I don't right. know. If that's, I mean, that's probably something you guys thought about, but I'm, or maybe you just oh, of course more vision than me, but <laughs> no, that was, that was a huge part of the design process. And it's been a big part of the design process as we've moved through it. You know, it's, it's something that we're thinking about a lot with every new silhouette we put out is, is this going to function beautifully as both the heel and a flat, but now going back to our earlier discussion about, you know, other people having attempted something like this, a couple of the other attempts that were made part of why they didn't succeed is they looked really bizarre in, in one state or the other, you know, it would be a functioning high heel that turned to a flat, but the heel would have a lever coming out of it, or it would be Mm. telescoping or, you know, have something very obvious on it. And I appreciated, you know, it's, it's funny when you look at some of those patents that were filed, they were by and large created by male engineers who approach this as purely a mechanical problem, which is great. But I think that's, you know, part of why it's important to bring women's voices into women's fashion is when I set out to solve this problem, I appreciated that I wear high heels because of the aesthetic. Like, you know, the reason I deal with the pain and carry around extra shoes and risk impalement all the time is because I love the way high heels look. And so I knew from the outset that 
if I created a solution that looked weird as a high heel or a flat or at a really visible, you know, like extrusion coming out of it to make it work, then that wasn't, it wasn't actually a viable solution. Like I appreciated that this would only be solving a problem for women if it looked virtually identical to other heels and flats on the market. And that, you know, that was just kind of the, the core design thesis I set out with. And I, I do feel like we've accomplished that. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think when you see somebody in these heels that there's, that it's not just a regular heel, like you would not know. So I think you've definitely accomplished that. And that is so cool. So tell me more. I'm so curious, like what the behind the scenes looks like, like when you graduated college and you not to keep like fat, uh, zooming backwards, what's whatever the word I'm like rewinding, <laughs> um, you know, you graduated college and you had just gotten this first new shoe, like in your hand. Like, so did you like go to work on Monday and you were like, this is okay. Now I'm the CEO of this company. And like, I'm imagining it was probably still at, like your kitchen table at that point in time where you'd moved home or something. But like, what did that look like? Did you already have people working with you at that point? Was it just you? Like, where did that, and what, how did you start building a team and, and what does that look like now? Absolutely. No. And and that's exactly what I did. I graduated on a Friday and Monday morning <laughs> I was at work ready to rock and roll. And no, luckily I did already have a team around me. So something that, you know, another great reason to start a business in college, or at least at my university, I went to Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo, if you're familiar with the school. And we had one of the top 10 entrepreneurship programs in the country. And part of why the entrepreneurship program was so highly ranked is this program called the Hot House, which is basically an on-campus startup accelerator. Okay. So I was working out of there. So kind of had an office. I luckily did not have to work from my kitchen table. I did do the first six months in my studio apartment, but quickly moved into <laughs> the Hot House program. Um, and through that, I was able to also network with a lot of other students that just really loved what I was doing and really wanted that hands-on startup experience. Experience. And so at that time, when I graduated, I was surrounded by a team of mostly just ambitious college students that were you know, excited to learn and excited to be a part of this and try to grow with the business. So there was, I think about about 10 of us at that time. And everyone was, you know, just, just working for the experience, which was great. I did have a couple contractors I was working with as well. Um, that were, you know, professional footwear developers, um, some engineers, of course, we had heavy duty engineers on this thing from day one for anyone listening, who's concerned about that. Um, and we, we had raised some money at this point as well. I think it's important to, to note, we were at a place by the time I graduated where I was able to come on as a full-time salaried employee of the company, which was of course a huge weight off the shoulders. Mm -hmm. You know, I did not want to be starving while I was trying to make this thing. So I, uh, I was in a pretty good position coming out of college with just the, the network and groundwork I'd laid for myself over that year and a half still in school. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I've, I'm so impressed <laughs> that you were able to do that all by the day you graduated. Uh, what does it look like now? Are you, do you, do, are you still in the same like city or did you, are, are you still related to that hot house at all? Like still involved with like things on campus or have you moved away from that into like a different office and situation? 
So we've graduated from the program officially. The the hot house graduated to one other program they have called the incubator, which then housed us for two years following. Um, But then in December of 19, when was it? Yes. December of 19, I moved into a new office. So we are in a real full-blown office now, which is great. Still in San Luis Obispo, which is awesome. For anyone that's not familiar with the area, it's this gorgeous beach town right between LA and San Francisco. So mm-hmm. no complaints being here. It's okay. kind of a random place to have a shoe company, but I love it <laughs> just from a lifestyle perspective. And now we are at a point where we do have six full-time employees, including myself, which has been an absolute game changer. And that's a pretty recent development. It's it's important to say uh, six months ago, we were only at three full-time people. Mm. Oh, wow. So, it, it grows yeah. the last couple months. Exactly. Yeah. No, six, six people may not seem like a lot, but going from three to six has actually been pretty hectic. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> huge. I mean, that's game-changing, doubling the size of the workforce, I bet. Absolutely. So yeah, that's kind of our composition now. And, you know, it's been interesting growing that dramatically throughout the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, The team is, is very spread out. So myself and one other awesome person on my team are here in San Luis Obispo, kind of holding down the fort at the office. My COO and my uh, customer experience manager are down in Los Angeles. My design director is in San Francisco. And then I just hired the, the sixth person is in Florida. So it's kind of taken on a life of its own. We're a little all over the place now. (laughs) I feel like that's, that's the nature of like business today though, right? That's what last year did to us. Everybody can be in all different places. People are so used to working virtually. Same things happened with my company. I've ended up hiring people from all over the place because why not? Why not? Oh, I think it's opened up this whole new world of opportunity where you just get to hire the best people and the people that are the best fit, you know, not being limited by geography has actually been very liberating. And I think a really positive thing for our, our company culture, because we can hire, we can just hire a lot more freely than when we were limited geographically. Yeah, I totally agree. It's like one of those silver linings, right? I think definitely it's been cool to see. I've got to ask how, um, with you obviously having, you know, still being fairly young and having been just out of college at first, like, is your team, does your team skew young as well? Like, is it still some of the people that had joined from your like classes in college or are you kind of like the youngest person on the team directing people who are older and like have had more work experience? We, it's a little bit of a mix of both. It's kind of across, across the board. There actually is still our design director was my first hire (laughs) initially back in college. And he's the one that has stuck with me through this whole journey and is on full time with us now, which has been awesome to see. Um, but I'd say it's, it's actually pretty 50, 50 of the six of us, three of us, including myself are 25 and below. And then the other three are in their thirties. So a relatively younger company, um, but pretty, pretty even across those two decades. Yeah. So is it, has it been, I don't know. I mean, is there anything weird about running a company so young? Have you run into anything? I mean, I started my company young too. I started, I think when I was like 23, but it was like just me for the first several years. So I wasn't like you know, I didn't consider myself a CEO. I wasn't like, you know, managing a team or, you know, dealing with, I'm sure like you're dealing with like a lot of outside, um, 
oh my God, what's the word I'm looking for? Investors (laughs) or contractors. Yeah. All of those things to actually like get a physical product being made. And and yeah, the investing I'm sure is that, I mean, we all know that, right? Like how hard that is for women at all, let alone women. Um, so I don't mean to kind of go down that road necessarily again right now, but, um, yeah, I mean, what's that been like for you just to be such a young CEO and leading this company when you obviously hadn't done anything like that before, I imagine. (laughs) Yeah. Nothing quite like that before to say the least. Um, but no, I mean, it's, it's kind of been across the board. There's obviously advantages and disadvantages. I'd say I've been very lucky on the team front. It hasn't been a problem. You know, I, I think part of that though, is selective interviewing of, of course, I'm only going to hire people that are okay (laughs) with the fact that I'm in charge and I'm the leader. So that's kind of a culture fit given is, you know, are you all right with having such a young CEO? And so far by and large, it hasn't been a problem. I think just with the nature of, you know, younger CEOs becoming more common in the tech industry, it's something people are a little more open to nowadays. I, you know, of course have dealt with some discrimination when we're trying to find contractors or suppliers, mostly just condescension. There was a lot of condescension in the beginning of, Hey, you're 20 with no footwear experience. And you want to work with my footwear supply chain, you know, but it's, it's kind of one of those things where it was like, all right, if, if that's your attitude, you're not the right partner for me. And, you know, I'm very curious how they feel about having that attitude now looking back. Um, but no, I'd say the area where it's impacted me the most is, you know, to your point, it's a whole other rabbit hole, but definitely raising money has been a lot harder. Just being a, a woman going after venture funding in general is already, very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. And then being a young woman in particular, it's a whole extra layer of difficulty. So I've, I've had to deal with a lot of, of struggles and, and kind of judgment and condescension in that sense. But again, I've always kind of had the attitude as I've pitched investors and tried to hire people and tried to source contractors. My attitude's always been, you know, I am the founder of this company. That's not going to change. And if someone has an issue with my age or my gender, then they're just not the right fit. And they're just not the person that's meant to join me on this journey. (laughs) And that's fine. So it's, it's definitely been a harder road than I think some other entrepreneurs have to weather. But at the end of the day, I've built up a community of, of very supportive and awesome people around me that, that get me and get what we're building here. And that's the only thing that matters to me. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to ask, like, have you kind of found other young CEOs or like other people kind of like in similar stages of business, business owners, any like female entrepreneurs that you've been able to kind of pull around you and and have be a bit of a support system or just like other people kind of going through similar things as you that you've ended up becoming friends with or talk to things like that? So that part's definitely been a little more challenging. You know, I I've done interviews before and I always get asked what one of the, the more hard things personally has been. And I'd say for me, it has been, it's been a little isolating in that sense of not really having a community of young female founders around me. It's getting better now. I will say now being 25, I'm starting to meet more female entrepreneurs my age that are getting into the venture world. And that's been really, really great. But when I was 20, you know, I didn't know any other founders, any other female founders when I was 20 trying to do this. And so that part was, was challenging of, I didn't feel like a lot of 
people in my network in college really understood what I was doing or even why I was doing it. It was actually a very interesting dynamic at first where it really kind of showed me who my true friends were. You know, it's, it's funny. You wouldn't think starting a business would be something that people would take issue with, but when you're 20, it it can be kind of divisive in a weird way. So it was an interesting scene to navigate, but I feel like now that I'm you know, I say older, I'm still 25, but now that I'm a little older, it, it has become a bit more of a community and that's been really, really comforting. Yeah, no, I, I totally understand. I think it was really similar again. Like I don't at all, I can't even like bring up my experience in relation to yours because it's so different. Just, you know, I didn't have a whole, Ooh, I'm sure you went through so many of the same things though. Like, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that's why, I, and that's why I, so the, um, like kind of the, the group that this podcast was born out of was actually an in-person networking group that I started in Boston where I was because when I, because as a 23 year old founder, I didn't know anyone else who was doing, you know, anything similar. And, and that's how I felt. I was like, it was very isolating. So I was like, I wish I could find somebody to just like go for coffee with, you know, once a week, once a month and like, just talk about stuff. Um, and so I eventually did find some people like that. Um, and then that's kind of where the whole premise of this podcast came from those conversations, but that's something I really noticed too, that even at like 25, but then much more so by like 28, you know, and then of course, now in, in, I I'm now in my thirties, um, which gosh, the time flies, but now it's like, there's so many, right? Like now I know so many people my age who have businesses, but I think that's because I've gotten older and it's just something that people start to do a lot more of like by their later twenties. And then definitely by like, once you're in their thirties, people are feel ready to start a business, but in your early twenties, there's really not, not that much there's not that much of it. Like you're the only one, <laughs> I think. Exactly. So no, definitely. And I, I love that. That's kind of what this podcast was born out of, because I think for, you know, the, the few 20 to 25 year olds that do decide to start companies, I think that is one of the biggest emotional challenges is it just can be kind of lonely and isolating. And, you know, I don't mean to say I didn't have fantastic friends and a great support group because I did, I have an incredible circle of friends and family around me, but it was just tough to your point. You want to be able to get coffee with someone and complain about what you're going through. And it was, it was difficult when I'm, you know, I'm sitting here going, gosh, my whole supply chain and the duty war, you know, my product increased by 25% and, and all my friends would, would listen. And of course be very supportive, but you could tell they were kind of like, okay, Haley, like no one, no one can relate to this. Like, what are you talking about? So I, I don't mean to say I didn't have, um, incredible support around me, but there's, there's something to be said about being able to interact with people that have shared experiences and directly yes. relate to what you're going through. And I think in your, in your early twenties, it's, it's tough to find that. Yeah. Well, I'm really impressed. I mean, I know I keep saying this, but <laughs> with all you've been able to accomplish, I really like, I was looking to decide, I can't decide which ones I want, but I feel like I need like three or four different pairs of these shoes just because I want them all. Um, but I, I can't believe you've done it. Um, I want to hear, do you have any kind of, as, as a female CEO, like any kind of, um, leadership philosophy, any kind of personal mantra that you've kind of come up with or found yourself using as you've, you know, kind of grown as you're in your role as CEO? 
Definitely. I do. And it's a little unorthodox, I'd say not to go off of a meme, but it's less of a phrase and more of a lifestyle. I don't know if you've heard that when it comes to uh, what is it? Some kind of music meme on TikTok. But anyway, the, the phrase that I tend to live by very simple, but it's just work hard, play hard. <laughs> it's very cliche. Um, but actually my dad used to say that to me every day before I left for school. And it's really stuck with me as a founder because it really, to me means just work-life balance and being a well-rounded person and a happy person. And I think that's a really important mindset for any leader to have, but particularly a startup founder you know, when I think back to the first two and a half years of this business, I definitely lost sight of work-life balance. Mm -hmm. I was doing the crazy 15 hour days and totally riding the emotional roller coaster of having a company and, you know, kind of lost sight of some of those self-care things of, you know, I wouldn't go to the gym because I had to take a work call or I wouldn't go to happy hour with my friends because I had a pitch. And after two and a half years of living that way, I realized that wasn't sustainable. You know, building a company is it's a marathon, not a sprint. And you have to take care of yourself so that you can show up every day and be the leader that you need to be. And so now I've really embraced that full force, which I think is a little unusual for startup founders. I think we really glamorize that go, 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 go Mm -hmm. culture in the startup world. But I've very much taken a a different approach as a leader and as someone trying to set the culture here at Passion. And my my attitude now is, you know, people do much better work when they're happy. And so that's really kind of my whole leadership philosophy, I guess, is, hey, I want everyone working hard and doing a good job and making themselves proud of the work that they're putting in every day, but also go have a life and like live a balanced life. And that's ideas and inspiration too, right? Like, yeah, you're not sitting in front of the desk. Exactly. Now you can't, if you're just staring at a wall all day, trying to crunch numbers, you're not going to be facilitating many great ideas. So yeah, I guess that's really kind of my, that's a long winded answer, but I guess leadership (laughs) philosophy is just try to support well-rounded people because they'll they'll work better and be happier and everyone wins when that's the case. Yeah. Yeah. No, I have a similar kind of philosophy to that too. And, and it's, I just really think people, people, if you can, if you can be more efficient and get more done in less time, like I don't want to have a culture where people just think, oh, I need to be staring at my computer for eight hours a day. Like my job is to sit here staring at the, like being in front of my computer. No, your job is to get the results that we need for the company to be moving forward. And if you can do that in three hours a day, more power to you. I'm thrilled with that. You're you're doing your job. That's great. And I'd rather encourage that and have people feel inspired and excited and enthusiastic to like, to do what, you know, to reach our, whatever our goals are in less time and then be able to, you know, go live their life in more of the time. No, I'm all for being more efficient. And to your point, I, I feel the exact same way. And those are the kinds of philosophies I've put in where, you know, we do flex hours of, Hey, I don't care how long you're in office or what hours you're working. Like if it works for you to work from 12 to eight and take the whole morning off. Great. If you want to do nine to two and then seven to 10, like, I don't care. Like as long as you're getting your, your work done and to your point, if it's done in three hours and you've hit all your goals for the week, I don't want you sitting in office, like go surf, go to the beach, 
coach, do whatever you want. Like, I don't want to discourage people from being efficient and productive. And I think one of the best ways to motivate people to be efficient is to reward them with having a life on top of their job when they pull it off. So I'm right there with you. I love that. So speaking of, um, (laughs) do you have any fun plans for this summer? Anything, you know, business for the, for the company, anything new coming up or happening or, or personally, anything you're kind of working on or planning to do? Oh my goodness. Um, well for the company, absolutely. We are dropping a new style of shoe this summer, which I'm super excited about. It's called the slide and it's a very cute, like slip on two straps sandal. We haven't done anything that slips on yet. I'm actually wearing them right now because they're just so easy to throw on and go. So I think that's going to be a big win for us this summer. Very excited. Um, and then personally, nothing too wild going to some weddings. <laughs> That's kind of a business win as well Is just now that we're coming out of the pandemic. I feel like there's a wedding every weekend, which yeah. great for business and Good great for shoes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well actually, yeah. And I mean, that's a whole other topic. Like if that you were able to grow, even while everyone was staying at home, like that seems pretty impressive. Oh, it was crazy. I mean, you know, definitely when the pandemic news kind of came down early last year, our whole team panicked. I was like, oh my gosh, people are not going to need high heels. <laughs> what, what is this about? But, you know, I have to say our, our team really came together and focused really hard on finding how do we find our customers? How do we speak to them? And we were able to still grow quarter over quarter last year. Wow. Not as dramatically as we would have liked, of course, you know, we told the investors we'd be ramping up pretty significantly. So that was, that was a bummer in that sense. But now coming into 2021 and kind of starting to enter the post pandemic lifestyle, it's actually been really, really exciting to see. And I think our product is exponentially more relevant now than Mm -hmm. it was pre-pandemic, you know, kind of one of those silver linings and weird blessings in disguise where I think living through the pandemic, women are more excited than ever before to dress up again and go to the weddings and travel and even just, you know, get back to work, go to date night. Like even here in San Luis Obispo, which is a small town, any Friday night, it's a two hour wait at every single restaurant downtown. And all the women are dressed to the nines just to get dinner with their boyfriend. Cause we miss feeling, you know, gussied up and beautiful. But on the flip side, we spent the last year in slippers. So you look at those Louboutins and you're like, Ooh, they're pretty, but I don't know if I can do that anymore after all this time out of it. And so I feel like in a weird way now is kind of the perfect time for passion and for convertible heels as a category, because you really get the best of both worlds. You know, you can have the heel when you want it, but when it gets to be too much, you've got a a built-in escape hatch at the ready. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I was thinking that same thing. Like we're used to comfort, but we also really do want to get dressed up. So it's perfect. And are you, are they sold almost like only online on your website? I I should have asked that sooner. Like, how are you actually getting in front of customers? How do people buy? 
Yes. Everything right now is direct to consumer on passionfootwear.com. We keep it nice and easy. You know, we we've thought a lot about if we want to do retail and one thing we are starting to test, it's very limited right now, but we are partnering with certain bridal boutiques Mm. to carry a, a size run in the store so that brides and bridesmaids can try the shoes on with their dresses, you know, place an order through the boutique. So that program is starting to launch. I want to say there's, there's one location here in San Luis Obispo and one in Arizona, but we're hoping that's going to become a much more expansive program in the next six months, fingers crossed. But at least for now, you know, the, the majority of the population would be shopping on our website. Awesome. Cool. So what do you do to make sure people get to the website? Are you guys, what do you guys use like advertising and stuff? I yes. I know like on e-commerce, like that can be one of the hardest things you can have the most amazing product, but getting it in front of people is tough. It is. Well, and especially with this product, I think something that we didn't really appreciate on the onset is, you know, not only are we creating a new brand in the footwear space, which is already incredibly crowded and competitive for new brands, but we're also creating an entirely new technology and also really an entirely new category of footwear which hasn't happened in centuries, you know, I mean, we've had boots, sandals, flats, and sneakers for what the last 200 years, when was the last time a new footwear type was introduced. Yeah. And although that's very exciting, the downside is to your point about getting people to the site. When we were gearing up to launch back in 2019, I ran a report to try to figure out how often people were searching convertible high heels or heels that turn to flats on Google. And at that time, in a given month, there was like 30 searches globally for one of those search terms. Like no one was looking for heels that turn to flats because no one thought they existed which obviously means it's a massive opportunity, but we've really had to kind of fight tooth and nail to get word out that, Hey, not only is this a new brand called passion, but it's a whole new take on a high heel. That's going to change your life, but you've never seen it before. And so marketing has definitely been the bulk of our effort over the last year. And to your point, it's, it's, it's a combination of different efforts, but of course, a lot of digital marketing, you know, nothing beats a good Instagram ad as we all, as we (laughs) all have come to know throughout the pandemic. Um, we've also relied pretty heavily on a lot of referral. I think one of the strongest things with this product is every customer kind of becomes a salesperson for the brand, whether they know it or not, because, you know, they'll go out to brunch and take their heels off. And even if they're not trying to impress the women nearby, any woman in a 10 yard radius is going to go, did you just rip the heel off of your shoe? Like, what am I looking at here? Like, it's such an interesting thing to see. And so we've, we've been building up that referral program as well. And then kind of the third effort has been PR and trying to, you know, secure different placement different placements, that placements, excuse me, which most famously we, we got our, our really big break on ABC's shark tank in February, which was incredible exposure. Oh yeah. And, and I had, I had jotted a note to ask you about that, but with everything else, I just like, didn't even ever ask about that, <laughs> but <laughs> Um, yeah. So I guess in, in one minute, cause I know, I feel like we've, it's, I, we've been, I feel like I just can't, I could talk to you all day. I want to ask you so <laughs> many things, but I'm trying to not have this be a super long, um, conversation, but yeah. What was that like? Did you, is you were like on Shark Tank as one of the pitching, pitching the product up for investment? 
pitching the product. Yes. And it was, it was incredible. I mean, talk about a very intense experience for sure, but also very (laughs) exciting for me in particular. It was, it was really overwhelming because I've, you know, being only 25, I want to say the show started airing when I was 12 or 13 years old Mm -hmm. and I've watched every season since, you know, I grew up watching shark tank. So to actually be there in that room with Mark Cuban and Lori Grenier, you know, was, was super, super exciting. Um, and really just a once in a lifetime experience, but for us, the real power of shark tank, you know, again, going back to that handful of Google searches on convertible high heels was, you know, what other opportunity is out there where you can just instantly reach over 5 million eyeballs in 12 minutes, you know? So being able to just all of a sudden, almost overnight, increase awareness in the US and beyond that this tech exists. That's that's been a huge accelerant for the company coming into the new year. Wow. And so so did you make did you win money? Did they invest? <laughs> I was given an offer by Kevin O'Leary, but wow. if for anyone who's a fan of the show, it had one of his famous royalty deals attached to it. And I really did not want to do a royalty. I didn't want that looming over the company's head for the foreseeable future. So I actually am, am one of the few founders to walk away from an active offer. Oh, wow. Well, Hey, but that must be great. Like, um, I mean, that's great. Well, to, to tell people or for people to know that like he thought it was worth it and to show that you kind of have that, um, Oh my God, I meant such a loss of work for words, to <laughs> everything I try to say, but you know what I mean? That's, I mean, that must be such a good boot, like ego boost and just like being able to, you know, kind of prove, um, that it's a great concept and that, you know, people who know what they're talking about are, <laughs> feel like it's worth into it. it. Yeah, no, definitely. Like I said, it was almost surreal as someone that grew up watching it. You know, I've, I've idolized the sharks for my entire life. So for someone to make me an offer was, was really validating for sure. Yeah. Amazing. So I always ask people, what was one thing that you wish you'd known more about when you first began your business? So I've got to got to ask that. Oh gosh, there's so many, (laughs) so many things I'd wish I'd known. Um, I think this kind of goes back to the work-life balance thing that I was talking about earlier, but I think something I really wish I'd known, especially as a young entrepreneur is again, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Mm -hmm. And it's an emotional roller coaster that you do not want to ride too hard. I think our culture has really glamorized this idea of the startup founder that, you know, as an overnight success and they work 24 hours a day and it's this whole thing. I think it was Steve, Steve jobs. That might be incorrect, but some famous business person has a quote along the lines of every overnight success took many, many years <laughs> to get there. And I've, I've definitely realized over the course of this business that that's true. You know, when I started yeah. it at 20, I, obviously was naive to an extent. I was 20. I'd never started a business before. And I definitely was buying into that, you know, Silicon Valley vision and anthem of, you know, give me 24 months and I'll sell the business for a billion dollars. Right. Like that's genuinely how I thought it was going to (laughs) go. And, and now I realize that that's just such an unrealistic expectation to set. And so I guess that would be the one thing I really wish I had known at the time was, you know, it's going to take some time and that's okay. There's going to be days that you don't win that day and that's all right too. And the whole thing is just a journey (laughs) and a marathon and you just have to enjoy it 
and ride with it and try not to freak out every time something goes wrong. Cause a lot of things will go wrong. And so just like be nice to yourself. Yes. No, that's so true. It's so, so good. Do you have any other last piece of advice that you'd want to share with other entrepreneurs? You know, I do. I think, um, you know, going back to when you asked where we were talking about starting a business in college and so many of my friends said, you know, Hey, Haley, you have class, you've got, you know, homework or whatever. To my earlier point, there's always going to be something. If I'd waited, it would be any number of other reasons why I shouldn't start a business. And so I think my big advice to anyone out there who's debating becoming a founder and starting a business, it would be don't wait for the right time because I truly don't think there is such a thing as the right time. There's just the time you choose to start and that's the right one. (laughs) So if there's an idea that you're obsessed with and you can't stop thinking about, and you know, you're going to regret it. If you don't chase it, just get started because it's, there's never going to be a better time than now. Yes. Oh my God. I love it. I totally agree. You speak to my soul. I (laughs) think that is so valuable. I hope that everybody listens to you. Anyone who I hope so too. Uh, We can do amazing things, right? You just need to like try and just make it happen. Absolutely. No, that's really all it is. Not to get even more advice, but that was um, one other piece of wisdom I garnered from an entrepreneurship book I was reading is that when you look at the top successful people in the world and you compare them, right, they have virtually nothing in common. Like there's examples of successful people from every kind of background all over the world, every, you know, economic status and upbringing. The only thing every successful person has in common is that they never give up. <laughs> That's truly it. It's just that they keep going and keep trying until they make it. Yes, exactly. So true. Oh my gosh, Haley, thank you so much for coming on and talking with me today. I'm really inspired by you and I love what you've done and just your whole mindset around business and everything. So thank you so, so, so much. Can you share before we sign off where people can, first of all, find your products, where they can connect with the brand online, if where they can connect with you personally, if that's cool. Sure. Absolutely. Yes. So as far as passion, if you're interested in checking out our convertible high heels, they are shoppable through passionfootwear.com and that's spelled P A S H I O N. You can also find passion on Instagram. That's where we, you know, pull a lot of our customers about new designs. You'll get sneak peeks about what's coming out. And then if you want to connect with me personally, feel Feel free to find me on LinkedIn or on Instagram. It's just at Haley, (laughs) H-A-L-E-Y underscore Pavoni. I will definitely be doing that. You can, you'll, you'll see me on your Instagram and, and LinkedIn. Um, and yes, H-A-L-E-Y. I know there's so many like ways to spell Haley. I feel like that's well, there's north of 20. There's so many, you would be, <laughs> you would be surprised. There's a ton. Yeah. We were just talking about that, um, the other day, cause actually an, the account manager on my team is named Haley and she spells it the same way as you, but <laughs> I've been very aware of it lately. Very Thank you so much for coming. Right away. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. Um, I, yeah, I can't wait for everyone to get to hear this. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. 
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this show, please subscribe to Quotable, a female millennial entrepreneur podcast, wherever you listen. So you won't miss the next episode and leave a review on iTunes. So other people will be able to find us easily. Also, don't be shy to get in touch with me or anyone you've heard on the show. We're all about connecting and our Instagram handles and contact links are always in the show notes or online at quotablemediaco.com slash podcast. If you want to join the community of other female millennial entrepreneurs, join our Facebook group by searching female millennial entrepreneurs on Facebook. Talk to you soon and see you there.